The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining today is Will Graham, the co-creator uh, of A League of Their Own, the TV show on Prime. And I am so excited for this conversation because I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before, but I may have or may have not. But A League of Their Own, one of my top favorite movies, like top all time, top three. It's probably like randomly it's like Feds, which is like a random movie from the 80s and, you know, coming to America and like A League of Their Own. Like it's it's those for me, just like they they spark all of the all of my feelings. Um, so thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited that you created this, not a reboot, but a reimagination, as you said. Yeah, no, that that's right. And um, and I feel the same way, by the way. I think all of us involved with the show do. We all grew up with the movie. We love um, the film. And we're here sort of standing on the shoulders of Penny Marshall, who we, we had the chance to speak to before she passed away. Mm. And, uh, and the cast who created something so emotional and funny and, and all the things. Just all of the things. And I think... The reason it stands up is because it approached areas. Um, I don't know that a lot of things did when it came out, but also even to this day. Um, and I think also, you know, the emotions that we feel in part is the human stories, but there's something about like sports narratives. Anytime people are like training really hard for something. And then like the end of the movie is like the climax and the big game. Like that always makes me cry. Like no matter what it could be, they could be dancing. It could be ballet, you know, anything I'm like, I get in my feelings. Um, but can you talk a bit about um, the, the reimagining of a story in which people who are coming together as a, team and all of the different meanings of that in a moment of history that's like chaotic and hard difficult yeah um but they're also able to sort of rise above it in a shared goal yeah no i mean i think one of the things that in um in developing the show we we were really drawn to so so first of all as you said um, the show isn't a reboot of the movie. There's no Dottie, there's no Kit. And in some way, I think, you know, Abby Jacobson, who I co-created the show with, and I both felt like, you know, the world doesn't need that. But, mm-hmm. because the movie's great and the movie's always going to be there. But um, when I I started, you know, a few years ago, I watched um, the movie again and I started wondering about the stories underneath it. And there are these mm-hmm things that when you watch the movie, they they become, from a 2022 perspective, questions that you're mm-hmm. kind of carrying with it. Like, what happened to the Black woman who threw yep. the ball? Yep. 
And and there is all of this, you know, I, I'm not the, the only person to say this. In fact, I think the world has said it pretty loudly at this point, sort of queer subtext mm-hmm. of the story that obviously wasn't and probably couldn't have been addressed in 1992. So I started looking into the real stories underneath it. And there's so much, I mean, so much that you could never tackle in a two hour movie, but that we're able to address in the show. And the show really became the story of a generation of women and some of them we've now called non-binary people, trans people Mm -hmm. uh, who, who wanted to play baseball more than any one team or league. On the other hand, the show is really about teams and it's that on a couple of different levels. It's about the team that you play with and some of the things that we're familiar in seeing in sports stories, how you how you learn to be your best and make the team its best and, and you know, get to the goal. Um, but it's also about the team that kind of gets you to the field and mm-hmm. in, in multiple levels on our, um, on the two sides of our story, we're following Carson, who's played by Abby Jacobson, my co-creator, and Max, played by Shante Adams. Um, y- you know, there's there's a sense of um, of you need the community on the field and you need the community off the field, and that mm. might be queer community, it might be family, but it's the people who help you see yourself and overcome the odds to do this thing that. Mm-hmm the world didn't really want them to uh, play baseball, didn't really want them to fall in love with the people that they uh, wanted to fall in love with. So in my life, that that really resonates um, yeah. as your person, but I think just as a person, you know, uh, like who your team is. And it's mm-hmm. something, it's a story we really wanted to tell right now. Well, it's a story that it resonates with you no matter what, you know, background you come from. And I also think right now we could use a story about coming together as a team in the pandemic. Um, We need some collective teamwork um, that is absent uh, when it comes to a lot of things as it relates to the pandemic. You mentioned the, the sort of under, the under, the stories underneath the main story when you're watching the movie. Um, and I, I love that you were able to reach out to some of the real people um, and talk to the queer people who are the real people. Can you can you give us a little bit of um, a sense of what those conversations were like to talk to to some of the original players in the real story um, who did have those queer stories that you're able to bring to life in the new series? Yeah. So it was a a really incredible experience on a ton of levels. Um, And and to say that they were conversations uh, really, I think, belies the complexity of (laughs) of what we were trying to explore, which is, um, you know, these became real friendships and, and relationships because um, most of the the people involved in um, the league who were queer haven't really talked about it. Most of them are still not willing to talk about it publicly mm. either because they don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel like they'd be ostracized or just for generational reasons. Um, y- you know, most of them are now in their 80s and 90s and uh, they grew up in a, in a pre-Stonewall world. Yep. But Maybell Blair, who... Uh, who is a consultant on the show who played in the AG, PBL and in other leagues um, at the time um, and came out in June at one of our events, which we were not 
um, expecting. Uh, you know, we, she's a good example, and we can we can talk about her more um, openly now. Where at first she she Abby and I went to see her at this bar in Sunset Beach, and and we were very nervous. We were like, "How are we going to bring this up?" And finally, <laughs> Abby was like, "Well, you know, I'm." queer i'm gay and and so is will will's gay and uh and mabel was like well i i guess i am i'm also i am too and um her stories for me were life-changing her friendship has just been incredible to hear what it was like yeah but also to really hear it um she tells her story very joyfully and she said to, to Abby and I, you know, we said, what was it like to get to this league and find all these other people who were like you? And she said, whoa, it was a party. <gasps> and just to think about how amazing that is, I think there's probably a lot of pain underneath it. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, in 1940, you know, 30 years before Stonewall, 25 years before Stonewall, getting to have this celebratory communal experience, um, it really, for me, changed the way that I look at my own queerness and people around me. And as you said, mm -hmm. we're not living in an easy time for people in general and, and not for queer people. But this is a story that takes place in the middle of World War II and, yeah. and the 1940s already were not a cakewalk. And it's a yeah. joyful story about people in the midst of a very dark time seeing these sparks and finding ways as society changed around them to realize their dreams and and find people that they wanted to fall in love with and and play the game that they they loved and i think there's something that i hope there's something we can all take from that in hard times there are the seeds of opportunity and and the ability to make radical change I love that so much because I think too often stories, queer stories, stories about Black people, stories about Indigenous people, any story is usually centered around like how hard it is and how it's so sad and it's so difficult and you're, you know, it's a story about justice or um, overcoming oppression. Um, and I think that centering a story in the time that it was um, that is a story about people seeing themselves like, oh, this is a safe space where we can have, we can be joyful. I, that is a powerful thing, especially right now, because we need to know that, you know, even when things are hard and they've been harder in the past as they were in 1940, that those people were still able to create the space to find joy. That's a good lesson for us. Um, yeah. Talk about Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Just to, to what you're saying, um, you know, we, I think partly this came from the movie, but, and, and I think one of the thing that, uh, things that Penny Marshall's film does so beautifully is most of the time when we tell the story of firsts, mm -hmm. you know, people who are doing something for the first time, we tell them in this larger than life sort of, um, as if they possessed these magical strengths that we we probably couldn't have. And at least my experience of a viewer of watching those films is also uh, often like, um, 
well, I'm glad I didn't have to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would have been able to. Um, Better you than me. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about A League of Their Own is that it's told through the lens of these very flawed, funny characters who aren't consciously conscious of, of doing something noble. They're just trying to play the game that they loved. Um, so we were we were really intentional about wanting to tell the story through a lens of joy, which, as I said, is also how Maybell tells her story. And mm -hmm. uh, Connie Morgan, Tony Stone, Mimi Johnson, uh, who uh, Shantae's character Max is based on, they were three women who they weren't allowed to play in the AAGPBL, but they went on to play in the Negro League. So they played mm -hmm. professional baseball with men. They also told their story. Um, stories very joyfully, but we wanted to do that without looking away from the hard things or creating a sort of um, a wish fulfillment reality where things were easier. And I think the way we thought about that was, you know, there's racism, there's homophobia in this world, uh, right. just like there is in ours. That's not what the story's about. It's an yeah. obstacle. It's a thing you have to contend with in your life while you're on your journey to, to wherever um, you're going. And so we, we sort of tried to, um, to keep it in that perspective, if that makes sense. It does make sense. That's what most people have to do in order to live. You know what I mean? It's not just a, I think it's important that you're like, you're keeping it in perspective in the show. I think people in order to survive have to keep it in perspective in their lives. And they, um, you know, if, if we weren't having enough joy, um, you know, we'd be sad and depressed all the time just thinking about the bad stuff. I want to talk about Pittsburgh because I have so many family roots in Pittsburgh. Um, and Pittsburgh is such an interesting city in the context of American history and in the yeah. context of the time, just because, you know, World War II, Pittsburgh was popping. You know what I mean? It was, it was, mm -hmm. it was busy. Uh, and, um, and then obviously, um, you know, it has gone through a lot of iteration and evolution since Can you talk a bit about filming in Pittsburgh and why that's, that's a critical piece. Oh, we don't, we don't mind dogs. <laughs> if you like, don't, don't worry. <laughs> I love the dog. He wants to be in the interview. Yeah. Uh, that was Winston. I love dog. Oh, Winston's a good name. I like dog cameos. Um, but talk about filming in Pittsburgh and why Pittsburgh is a, sort of a, another character in a way, because it's a critical component to understanding the time and period of American history we're in. Yeah, definitely. So, so um, we shot the show in Pittsburgh. The show is set in Rockford, Illinois in 1943. Rockford was um, one of the uh, major industrial hubs yep. of the um, Midwest at the time. And particularly in terms of wartime manufacturing played a really crucial yep. role. So it became a center, not just of industry, but of um, the Great Migration. Uh, Black yep. people coming up um, from the South, either by themselves or with their families, looking for better paying um, industrial jobs in the North, because just as baseball was being opened up in this limited way to women at the time, there were also new categories of work that were being opened up to um, Black men and to some extent to Black women. Uh, also in in all parts of society because you know the the draft and the war and um and uh and everything else created those opportunities so um pittsburgh i think in a in a really unparalleled way has preserved um both intentionally and unintentionally the mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, the the 1940s and and the decades around it um, in their architecture. Yes, a lot of similarities to Rockford in terms yep. of the geography. But um, much more than Rockford today, if you walk around the streets of Pittsburgh, you can really feel that history. And it was an extraordinary place to, to make the show. Yeah, I mean, that that's such a cool little nugget that I read. Um, and I felt like it, it felt so perfect um, to shoot there and sort of have that vibe as you're filming and shooting. And then, you know, when you're hanging out, when you're not shooting, you're sort of in that element. Um, yeah. Talk a bit about um, what, we can learn about ourselves because I, I feel like I've been thinking about this question a lot when we don't center you know straight white cis men yes in stories what what other things like what what does that open up the space for for us to like learn about ourselves I mean I just think that like even if I was a straight white cis man, like I feel like a, a show like this, I can learn about a lot about myself, even if the characters are not like me. Um, mm -hmm. And we just we we're seeing more content like that. What what are some of the things that that people can take away from the show, even if they're not queer themselves, even if they've never played on a sports team, even if they've never seen the original film? Yeah. So so first of all, I think. Um, this is a story, and it's been really interesting to see the reaction that, um, you know, the the real version, the authentic version doesn't uh, uh, center uh, straight people or um, or men. Um, and a large portion of the story is about uh, women of color. And that's just the 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 real research that's. Mm -hmm thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of, of research in order um, to wind up making the show. I think, you know, I grew up as a, as a queer white man. I um, didn't see my queerness reflected in any of the media uh, around me, which is why I, I kind of gravitated towards subtexts, like the mm. subtexts in A League of Your Own. And then you become very used to imagining yourself into the story. Mm. Um, you know, what if there was a superhero who was like me? What if there was a, <laughs> and, um, and I think in addition to there being a sort of loneliness to that, um, it also being an outsider gives you uh, a very strong muscle when it comes to empathy. Yes, yeah. Uh, I think we're now living in a time where this is a universal story, just like the movie and the main characters are um are queer people are people of color um who are and there are many of them in the story which i think is one of the unique things there are communities and conversations you know the, these aren't siloed um characters i think i don't know that there's a single lesson we can take away, away from that but but I think it's very reasonable at this point in time to ex expect straight people and encourage straight people and white people and everyone to be able to empathize with our stories. Mm -hmm. um, these stories are universal. They're, they're about finding out who you are, like every yeah. fairy, fairy tale, like every, every foundational story that, that we have. Um, and, uh, and I think empathy matters and people experiencing things in story um, matters. I think it also 
for for queer kids, for kids of color, um, hopefully will connect them to their history. You know, mm -hmm. I think I felt when I was a kid, mm -hmm. like I was probably the only one who felt broken in this way. And then gradually you sort of start to see the silent community and the silent city around yeah. you. Things are less silent now, which is is wonderful. Um, and uh, and the idea that um, queer people have always been here, yeah, uh, and that even before Stonewall, even before it could be talked about, we found a way to create community and create joy. Um, I think I think is really is really powerful. It definitely has been for me. So I hope people will take that away from it too. What you said about empathy is actually quite profound because if you think about it, because of the majority of content um, centers um, only specific, a specific set of experiences, I don't know if it's coincidental, but it is, seems to be an important observation. That same group of people, uh, if you're broadly speaking, does seem to have um, a little bit of a diminished capacity for empathy <laughs> for mm -hmm. everyone else, right? So if, if you're centered in the stories, you're not you don't need to find empathy for the character you see yourself in the character you see you, you understand you're like well i that's why james bond had to do that i understand because he was feeling this way because i feel this way sometimes you know i think that the sort of like muscle for empathy maybe isn't quite as developed so that is a very very profound thing you said well it's, um, it's um it's something we actually talk about in the text of the show too mm -hmm. episode six they go to see the wizard of oz mm -hmm. And there's sort of two interpretations of that story. One of the characters, Abby's character, is very moved by it. And Plants, played by Memi Sole Kumelo, uh, kind of interrogates it mm -hmm. uh, and, and mm -hmm. says, like, Dorothy got all of these people, you know, the, the Tin Man, the Lion, to, like, work unpaid uh, and <laughs> along on her mission, like, as if whether they wanted to or not. So is she really the villain of the story? And I think there's... Um, there's a, interesting questions around uh, empathy in that too, but how we tell stories has an effect on whether we see ourselves as main characters. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's good statistics and evidence to 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 back this up, and it does have an effect on how we see um, our own power. And the right. only way to, you know, we're still in the process of transformation of sort of. Um, uh, a general mainstream uh, cis white uh, male audience um, watching these stories and 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 empathizing uh, with us without thinking about it. You know, the only way to keep doing that is to keep putting out high quality yep. queer content, high quality content that um, that centers people of color and and essentially have it feel in the culture like people are missing out if they're not watching it exactly yeah it's, you know we're we're the breaking of the wave on that right now and and you know we can only hope it it continues well i think this this is definitely going to go in that bucket of shows and content that's created in this moment that um that I think is going to sort of <laughs> burst open the doors for for others because it 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 is high quality, right? I mean, and I think um, it. I don't, you know, I I hadn't watched. This is true. I had not watched a show in English in like over a year because I sort of like fell into the K drama rabbit hole a yes. while back, 
And then I never came out. I don't know what happened. And then it was this show <laughs> that I watched <laughs> because I love Leah Everyone so much. Um, even before I knew we were doing this conversation, when I saw the show was coming out, um, I watched and I, I'm grateful that it exists because a whole bunch of a new generation of people who maybe didn't have the VHS tapes <laughs> are going to be able to relate and connect with these stories and hopefully grow their, their ability to empathize. Um, Will, thank you so much for being here. Will Graham, co-creator of A League of Their Own, which is a new TV series on Prime and everybody should watch it. It is so amazing. We love the story and it is a new reimagining of the original story that we love and we will love the new reimagining. Thank you. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much, Jillian. Thanks for listening.